0: Today, we have Alex and Sarah May on the show. Are you looking to invest in multifamily properties? Alex and Sarah May are a married couple that went from being engineers in the space industry to full-time investors in multifamily. They started with single-family rentals and have grown to five syndications with close to 500 units. If you want to learn about the Colorado market, and how mindset matters, they are the perfect people to learn from. Investing in multifamily can be a great way to grow your portfolio, but it's important that you have the right mindset going in. That's why Alex and Sarah May are such valuable resources. They know what it takes to become a successful investor, and they're more than happy to share their knowledge with others. Listen, and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn, and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro.
1: Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder.
0: A little background on Alex and Sarah May before we start the show. Alex and Sarah live and invest in Colorado. They both started as engineers in the space industry and both had an interest in growing their wealth through real estate. They started on their own purchasing single family rentals. Then they joined a multifamily mentorship group and partnered with an experienced investor on their first syndication deal. They have since completed five syndications and they are off to the races. Now, Onto the show. Hello everyone. Today we have a very special guest. We have Alex and Sarah May. Alex, Sarah, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know these two. Um, first of all, this is the first time that I'm having two people on at the same time. So, um, if we have any technical um, difficulties, I apologize ahead of time, but I think we're gonna be okay. Um, but how I know these guys they're they're part of the same multifamily mentorship group um, that I'm a part of, based here in Dallas, the Brad Sumrock group, and uh, met them several years ago. um they've been doing great things and one of the things that I'm excited to talk to them about is, is they're actually in a different market. So they live in Colorado and they do deals in Colorado. And actually, I just invested in a deal with them at the end of the year. And um, they're doing r- fantastic. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Alex, Sarah, typically first question, how many properties and how many units are you guys currently invested in?
1: Yeah, thanks, Darren. Um, So we've invested kind of all three ways. Um, Individually is how we started out. Uh, So we have some of those properties. Um, We're in about 10 passive deals. And then we're working on our fifth syndication where we're the lead sponsors and asset managers. Um, Total number of units for those syndications is around 470 units. Um, So yeah, so we've been in the business and excited to keep working and moving forward.
0: Fantastic. So, um, let's just jump right into the, the, uh, the market. So talk a little bit about Colorado. Like what, you know, one, are you guys from Colorado? How'd you end up in Colorado? Um, two, what's it like, um, from the, from an investing standpoint in Colorado?
1: Yeah, well, Colorado is one of the strongest markets in the U S. Um, last year rent growth was over 10% in all the major Metro areas. Um, Lots of people um, are migrating into Colorado because we have, um, you know, good weather, lots of outdoor activities, lots of employment growth. Um, So that population growth has been fueling a big housing surge and housing uh, demand here in Colorado. Um, I think, you know, the average single family home price in Denver now is over six hundred six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, so, to be able to afford, you know, to provide more affordable apartments to people um, is definitely something that the market has demand for in Colorado. And we've been investing since uh, 2007, actually, and you know saw the, um, a little bit of the crash just with a couple of rental properties that we had and were able to ride that out just because of the strong cash flow and rents never really went down. And, you know, the last 10 years have just been um, up, up, up and lots of great um, demand drivers here in here in the state.
0: That's fantastic. It's um, consistent with what we're seeing in Texas. Now, the migration, we're seeing a lot of people from California moving into Texas. Uh, where, Where is the migration coming from? Is it? I hear. New York, Chicago, and California are the three areas where people kind of are moving out of. Are, are you seeing those three kind of, you know, coming into to Colorado and to the Denver area?
2: Yeah, those are all some of the big players coming here to Colorado. We, hear, we know a lot of Californians. It's, I'm from actually from Iowa, and I think every day I meet someone new from Iowa um, who moves to Colorado. It's a, just kind of a Midwest draw. People like coming to Colorado because it's... You know, like Sarah was saying, a lot of fun activities, strong job growth. I moved here originally for uh, my career. I was in engineering, doing aerospace engineering for Lockheed Martin, and uh, moved out here for that about uh, 20 years ago almost. Um, yeah, so... Between those uh, areas, and we also see a lot of people even from Texas coming up here. Um, Texas is getting a lot of uh, growth from, you know, all these other markets. But some people, I think, want to escape the heat probably and they come up to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, Depending on what your preferences are, <laughs> there's you know, definitely pros and cons of both I, li-
0: I live in the Dallas area, and I, and I was just talking to my wife about trying to, you know, rent someplace up in, in Colorado for about a month this summer. Um, we'll yeah. see if we make that happen. But, um, you know, beautiful country. And Colorado, you know, a very attractive place. Um, But, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to get your take on was, you know, it's expensive. Right. I mean, in the Dallas market, when I first started in the investing side about four years ago, you know, I ran into people that were like, oh, damn, man, I was buying at 30, 40 a door. And at that time, you know, I'm like, well, and they're like, I'm out. Right. And then. I'm like I'm in, and I bought at like 80 a door. Well, now it's at like 140, 150 a door. But Denver is, you know, significantly higher than that. So, um, you know, one, what, what does Denver apartments look like in terms of per unit and cash flow and uh, total return look like? And then, um, you know, do you what's your forecast? Do you think it's going to continue?
1: Sure. Yeah,
2: I think uh, you know. I think that kind of doubling you mentioned is something we've seen similarly here. Um, you know, the fact rents have gone up everywhere, but here it's gone up a lot too. Um, the price per unit here is definitely higher than in the Dallas area. I think when we got started, things were in the often we you know be going after deals in the hundred to 150k K rent per door range. Um, our first syndication was about 150 a door, and all of our investor friends from Texas. Kind of, it was hard for them to stomach. We showed them the the financial projections and the the rationale for why those prices are what they are. Um, And sure enough, we're actually selling that first deal we syndicated for, you know, upper 200s now. Um, So it's definitely, it's essentially been a double um, in in the valuation of properties around here over the last, you know, four or five years. And then, but the fundamental, you know, the math kind of all makes sense The some of the expenses here in Colorado are lower, especially insurance and taxes and rents, Um, you know, the incomes here and the rents here are a lot higher. And so it kind of turns out cap rates are pretty comparable to the Dallas area and other strong markets. Um, So, yeah, pretty much all makes sense. Uh, You know, we try and keep an eye on if we're going after assets. Making sure that you know we understand what the replacement costs is for construction and you know to build new property around here, you know, it's typically three fifty per unit. Four, four, <laughs> yeah. Maybe in the last year it's gone up mile closer to four fifty. So wow. yeah, you know, if you're buying stuff in the around the two hundred to three hundred, like that makes, you know, a lot of sense, um, especially given the demand.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So go go ahead, Sarah.
1: Oh, I was just going to add, you know, what makes a good deal to us when we do our financial analysis on a property is we like to be able to provide, you know, over a five-year hold period, somewhere around seven to 8% um, annual distributions, um, you know, an IRR for the hold period around, you know, 14 to 16% total return to our investors around, you know, 70 to 100%. So that'd be like up to a doubling of the money. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what we, we like to see, we like to use the conservative underwriting, um, to make sure we can get to that number safely and conservatively. Um, and, you know, I know you asked our projections and I think for the Colorado, you know, primary markets, there's going to be continued rent growth, um, just with all the demand for housing, um, There's also a lot of development going on, but I've been to several market um, analysis, you know, economic projection seminars and everyone's still saying, you know, they're building a lot, but still not enough to keep up with the demand. So, you know, should be good indicators of a strong market for
0: years to come. Absolutely. And the other thing that, uh, that Alex said was that, you know, knowing the local market, I think is so key. So, um, you know, I'm in, I'm invested in a lot of properties in Texas and I wanted to get some exposure to Colorado. But for me, being in Texas, like, you know, buying at two or 300 a unit is, is difficult for me to get comfortable with. But when you live in that market every day and you see where things are trading and you see, you know, the income, you see the expenses, you understand it. And you see the migration patterns coming in, then it gives you the confidence to go after that deal. So for me, as an investor, I wanted to partner with people that knew the local market very well, such as yourselves.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, it's definitely important to kind of know the market and what's going on. And you know, we we follow a lot of newsletters for local news. And like just last month, we got. Um, a list of all the recent transactions across Colorado with more than 10 units. And, you know, Alex and I both looked at each other. We said, can you believe this? You know, anything built after 1990 was selling over 400,000 a door
0: um,
1: in Colorado. So it's just, you know, it's a hot market. It's it's lots of demand here. And, um, yeah, when you're comfortable with it and you look at the numbers, the numbers you know, projected financial, a healthy financial return, like it's still exciting and a great market to, uh, to look into.
0: Absolutely. So, but it also comes with experience. So you guys did, you've done, now you're on your fifth syndication, you know, as you get more experience, the confidence grows as well. So talk a little bit about maybe going back to your first syndication and, you know, one, did you have to partner with other people? and did they have experience? And then, you know, what were some of the kind of mindset um, shifts that you had to do in your mind to get comfortable to actually pull the trigger?
2: Yeah. Um, our, our first syndication deal, we, we did partner with some folks um, out of Dallas actually, who were looking to get into other markets. And we were local here. We, you know, it's easy for us to go tour deals. We know the, you know, the good areas and any areas we should avoid and, Built some great relationships with brokers and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, going at, f- at first, you know, we went and we were underwriting lots of deals and touring, and we pulled some partners together with us to go after our, our first one that we got. And it was about four and a half years ago. Um, it was definitely a mind shift uh, because it was, you know, going from stuff we'd done previously, you know, doing a lot of four to eight, maybe 10 unit type properties around here. And we jumped up to 100 units and it was, you know, a nice 100 unit property. And and that purchase price, you know, was 15 million at the time, which was a lot. Um, so it was a, it was a big mindset shift to. But fortunately, you know, it was great having the good ecosystem that we had in the group that you're a part of, Darren, and some great partners that we uh, knew we could do this as a team. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened is we, we pulled together a great team. and. We're able to qualify for, you know, getting lending and build up the syndication uh, team for raising the funds and purchase the property and uh, been doing a great job managing it. And, yeah, you know, Sarah, she's been, uh, it was the first syndication we've done. So she, you know, spent a lot of focused effort just making sure we really understand the business and we're giving it our full attention. And, and you know, so that deal's gone really well and we're selling it now. And after that first one, we kind of just started doing, looking for more. And the next couple we found were smaller ones compared to the first one that as far as the capital raise, and we just felt confident, you know, that we could do it and have done kind of the rest on our own. And now we're kind of at a point where we're realizing we need to start partnering potentially with other folks to go after even, you know, the prices are getting so much higher and uh, just building teams up again. So it's kind of been our, our, our new focus now to start looking for other people who want to be partnering to go after a bigger assets that we can do as a team again um, we're still you know keeping our eye open for everything we can tackle ourselves but definitely open to to strategic partnerships and growing yeah
1: Fantastic. and Go ahead, one thing one thing I was just going to add to uh, you know we're both um, come from engineering backgrounds where everything is mitigating risk and you, you know you typically tend to be risk adverse. And so for us taking the step from moving from using our own money to invest in real estate to now, you know, leveraging other people who wanted to invest with us and using their money to invest in real estate, that was a big mental hurdle for me. Um, you know, because you always, you want to minim- minimize risk, and you don't want to put other people's, um, you know, funds at risk. So the two things that really helped me with the mindset was you're not selling people on an investment opportunity you're providing them with the opportunity to invest in this great project it's not a sales pitch it's an opportunity presentation if you will um so that was one thing it's not it's not about trying to sell somebody on the idea and then the other thing was you know if you are nervous about taking somebody's hard-earned money and putting it into a project you know, that means you have the ethics and an integrity to be in this business and you need more people like that who are um, <laughs> right. offering this type of investment to people. So it's like, if you're nervous, that's actually a good thing because. As long um, as, as long as, you know, you as long you're still
0: able to take action. Right. I mean, cause exactly. there's, there's a lot of people that are nervous about that, that let them, that hold them back from ever doing it. Right. So um, mm-hmm. you guys were, you know, nervous about it, but you got, you were able to push through and still take action. And I think that that is so important, you know, for listeners to understand that, you know, look, most people when they first do their first syndication, they're nervous, you know, they're scared, but you know, the ones that are successful, look, you're on your fifth syndication. Now you're 470 units as a general partner. Um, and prior you were doing four to 10 units and you could have just stayed there. Right. And you ended up finding a way to, to take that action. And, and that's the difference that I see with people that, you know, get into the 500, 3,000 units versus the ones that are still doing the fourplexes is they can't get past that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think, you know, Sarah mentioned, we come from, engineering backgrounds and we both were aerospace engineering and we worked uh, for space projects and our mentality there is in the space world is you have to be perfect. Like <laughs> nothing can be wrong because when you launch spacecraft like if anything is wrong with them you can't just go repair it right. So there's a lot of uh, risk analysis always being done and, and really trying to make sure there aren't, that there aren't problems. So we've you know we <laughs> we don't have quite that severe of a of a risk tolerance um, to multifamily, but at the same time, we bring the, that mentality of a lot of the what if analysis and and it's a, the beauty of it is when you can do what if analysis and, and account for all the like worst case scenarios and show that hey even if this goes wrong or this goes wrong you know we're still going to be okay that brings a lot of confidence so there's um, it kind of helps sometimes to be able to do all that. <laughs> very analytical work and, and, and worry about things. Cause then you can prove to yourself, Hey, look, this is not really something you have to, you know, maybe the returns wouldn't be what you want them to be ideally, but at least, you know, you're not, you're going to be fine. And uh, you'll do good right for now. your investors. You mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Hey, that makes me comfortable being an investor in your deal that you guys have all have that background and, and, Look, nobody can be perfect, right? You can't be perfect as an individual and you can't be perfect in every investment, but um, that you guys are taking the due diligence and, and um, looking at everything from different angles is, is comforting from an investor standpoint. Um, you know, Sarah, you said something that I think is really important. And, and you know, when you talked about opportunity, I think that a lot of people get hung up on, you know, when you go to, to raise money for other people's money that I need the money to do my deal, right? Versus what you said, you know, you're just presenting an opportunity, and if they pass, then you go on to the next person, you know, and exactly. And, and once you you learn that and you really accept it and believe it, then it's completely different talking to, to different people because it's not a pitch. You're trying to get something from somebody. You're trying to help them, you know, know, you're trying to help grow their wealth. And, you know, with that, you're, you're pulling all these people together that have the same goal and, and um, you're just being the kind of the team lead.
1: Yeah, for sure. That was definitely a a mind shift because again, being engineers, we're not um, salespeople (laughs) by nature. And so hearing that I didn't need to be a salesperson, it was just, you know, giving people the information they need to make an informed decision um, that really helped kind of shift my, um, you know, my perception of the business when I was just starting
0: out. So talk about, I don't, uh, you know, uh, the listeners uh, on this show, it it mainly uh, passive investors and also syndicators that are looking to scale. Um, So, you know, from the passive investor standpoint, you know, I'm not sure that everybody knows you know what the risk level is for a syndicator. So, talk a little bit about all right. You guys going cuz as a passive investor, they're getting hit by, you know, a number of different syndicators that hey, invest in my deal, invest in my deal. So they just think that hey, they they want my money, right? But you're not going to enter into a contract unless You're you're pretty darn certain you're going to close, right? So talk about the risk for the syndicator from the time they sign the contract to the time you actually close the deal. Do
2: I take
1: this one?
2: Yeah. Well, um, during that that closing period, yeah, there's I mean there's risk just in the sense of you know there's a lot of time invested, um, but really the financial risks start amounting when you're. You know, you're building up a team, you're starting lenders up to, uh, you know, start the loan process. You start, you build, work with attorneys and you know, that's not inexpensive. So there are a lot of upfront costs that go into these deals.
0: Who pays those um, upfront costs?
2: Yeah. So the syndicators that, you know, the leads will, will front all that money um, to help kick off these projects um, with, you know, the loans, the attorneys, you know, you do earnest money to let the buyer or the sellers know that you're, you know, you have the funds to be able to support this, make sure you're committed. And sometimes you're doing uh, earnest money, like essentially hard, meaning non-refundable day one, like you have a lot of confidence and you want to make sure you're comfortable with that when you're, when you're doing deals. Um, and so, yeah, you're putting up quite a bit of, of funds up front. And once you close the deal, I mean, it's just like all the other closing costs it's just one of many costs that go in to the overall project that um, everyone's kind of sharing once you get the deal. But yeah, there's a lot of upfront.
0: Yeah. I think um, that's important for, for people, people to understand is that like, look, you're, you're putting up typically six figures, you know, hard money, day one. And then mm-hmm. you're, you're paying for the attorneys, you're paying for the inspection, you're paying for the, you know, the loan deposit um, to get that started. And then yes, when it closes, you know, those are on the closing schedule and you're refunded. But if you're not able to raise the funds to close the deal, right? That money is- You lose it. You lose it as the syndicator. So the syndicator isn't just trying to put any deal under contract. They, they have to be confident that they're able to raise the money and then it's a solid deal, you know, or else they're out, you know, all that all that upfront money. Um, I, I'm not sure that every passive investor understands that.
2: Yeah, that's very true. There's um, a lot of risk upfront, and I think another risk is not even like the financial piece of those expenses. It's just kind of reputation,
0: reputational business, risk, right?
2: Yeah, this business is so relationship dependent, and if you be, you know if you don't close a deal, that that can run pretty. Because once you have a deal under contract. You know, the kind of the whole world knows at least you know the world being the local community and everybody, <laughs> uh, all the brokers and stuff knows this is on, you know under contract now and, and it quickly gets out you know who's who's working that deal and if it falls through, um, yeah that could definitely be a, a challenge to recover from. I'm sure you know it, it can happen, but we've been made it a point to make sure we're really careful on what deals we we're going after strongly. And when you're doing that like best and final offer and you're ready to go and like put hard money down. Like you want to be committed and know that it's, it's the right deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now you guys are in uh, five syndications. Um, can you can you share with listeners any lessons learned?
1: Yeah, um, I guess lessons learned um, on the syndication side is just know your timeline really well. There's a lot of moving pieces when you're you know, working with the title company and the attorneys and doing your due diligence and your fundraising simultaneously. Um, that's at least the way we've done our deals. We, we find a property um, that we like and then we raise the, the money um, after we get it under contract. Um, some some syndicators raise a fund. They raise the money up front before they go and find the property to buy. Um, pros and cons to each method. And, you know, just understanding the timelines really, really well, and what needs to happen at each of the different stages is key. Uh, I think the one that throws off most indicators is setting up bank accounts. Um, (laughs) Because you have to have a bank account, right, for your investors to, um, you know, send their funds to, and then once you own the property for your property manager to um, operate the property with. And I think that's something that, um, you know, the first time we we did things, you know, thankfully we had experienced partners and um, we were able to get that set up, but you first have to, you know, have your LLC set up. You have to get your tax ID number and then you have to go to the bank and set up your accounts. So, um, you know, that's just like one little thing, but um, just knowing the timeline while you're under contract is important.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Just kind of drafting out all the steps that have to happen to get to closing and, you know, how are you going to do your fundraising, and if you're working with a, an attorney for that, you know, putting together all the subscription documents, and the time it takes them to do that, and how are people going to subscribe, and how are you going to do your marketing for letting investors know and about the deal, and doing your, you know, we we like to do a webinar to kind of walk through the business plan. So what's the time frame for you know building all that up, and and then opening your uh, opening up for subscriptions to start bringing funds in, and yeah, I, th- I think that's a good lesson learned for sure. Just having a really uh, well-defined schedule when you're going into something, just to be able to keep track.
0: And for the listeners' benefit, you mentioned webinars. Um, you know, I would say for you know, look if you're looking to invest passively, you know, decide what market you want to invest in, and then then you know, meet a number of syndicators in that market to know them and get on their investor database and then when they have a deal just like Alex just said, you know, he's they're going to send it out to the investors that are on the list. Mm-hmm. Sign up for that webinar even if you're not ready to invest. You watch the presentation of their business plan. You know, what are they what are they planning to do with the property? And that's how you learn is to be watching those presentations. So um, you, five syndication deals. I have to imagine that each property was a little different, and that you know maybe, um, one thing was more important, you know, in terms of rehab um, at one property versus another. You know, maybe you know putting in dog park or putting in you know. So talk a little bit about how you guys look at these different properties differently and determine you know what you think. The property needs um, to to kind of go to the next level.
1: Sure. Yeah. So you know, I think there's interior and exterior renovations is usually the you know the cosmetic improvements that you look at. Um, you know, the first indication we we bought the exterior looked really nice and was well taken care of, so we didn't have to do much there. But we um, you know renovated every single unit when someone would move out and you know, did a really nice modern um, renovation. And so that way, when people came um, looking for a place to live and they saw the property, you know, everything was cohesive. The outside of the property looked nice. The interiors looked nice. um, And so that was our value add plan. Um, Our second property we did, it needed both exterior and interior. Um, And so that was, you know, definitely kind of your... um, great before and after story because it just was, you know, didn't look the most attractive. Um, and we were able to completely repaint, redo the parking lot, rebrand, um, for the exterior. And then on the interior, um, you know, update all the common spaces like the office and fitness center, um, hallways and things like that. So when people came in, it just had a totally different look and feel than it had before. And when somebody's just coming for a half-hour tour, you want their experience to be um, enjoyable and that they can imagine living there, and you know, bring friends over, or whatever, and being proud to say that you know that they live there and that's their home. Um, so I think really important on the kind of the exterior and common features as well as the interior, and just to make sure that those two you know kind of are consistent. Because even if you renovate units and they look amazing. But, you know, the parking lot's falling apart and the building hasn't had any exterior renovations done in 50 years. Like you're not going to get the rents that you need. Um, so just kind of making sure the two you, you <laughs> match.
0: You may not get them to stop by, right? I mean, that's the, that's the one thing that I heard from a lot of different syndicators is, is do the exterior as fast as you can, because then you start to get the drive-by traffic, you know, that, oh, wow, they're putting money into this. Let me go take a look at it. Versus, like you said, they drive by and the parking lot's full of potholes. Then they're like, you know what? I don't want to live here. I'm not. It doesn't matter what the Mm -hmm. inside looks like. Exactly. Um, So, talk about um, you know networking and going to conferences and masterminds, and you know what do you guys do and why do you do it?
2: Yeah, so like you mentioned, we we joined um, Brad Sumrock's mentorship program. It was about five years ago. And that was a, a mind shift thing. It got us into the syndication business. It was something we were trying to kind of figure out on how to do ourselves for, I don't know, six to 12 months. We knew we wanted to do kind of bigger stuff. And we heard about syndication, um, but it was really hard to find out all the specifics we needed. We always would run into a roadblock if we started going down the path of, you know, pursuing it and it just everything felt new and kind of complicated like you know dealing with syndication attorneys it's like oh gosh like what does that mean and and when we got into the (laughs) ecosystem that that brad created for us um you know for his whole group it's it was amazing to see all the other people who were having such success um i connected with you know someone who was an engineer same company who had done this and you know it's Build immediate trust and can be like, oh wow, like this is for real. You know, people are doing this and they're buying. You know, hundred unit buildings and it's it's not that big a deal. Um, And it's not when you have that mentorship and uh, people can kind of you know show you the ropes and make sure you're not missing anything and that you're because you are. You know, Sarah was saying we're taking on other investors' money and that was honestly like one of the hardest things when we first did that. Um, It's easy for us to buy our own deals and. You know, we can, we know the market, we can kind of use the gut feel a lot of times. We'll we'll do analysis, but like, you know, taking on other investors, like we really want to be rigorous to make sure we know what we're doing. And to so getting all the training and learning there um, guidance from coaches and just seeing other people doing it. Sarah mentioned we've been in over a dozen passive deals. And so that's been a really good experience to see how other sponsors are, are running their deals. Um their business plans, how they communicate with investors. So we've learned a lot through that, both the things we like and don't like, um, and where we want to you know, set ourselves apart and, and do good as a syndicator. Um, the, you know, the mentorship groups and just going out and networking with people. And that's where we've built up a lot of our core um, investor, investor folks, like people who are in the business, they know they want to be doing multifamily. So it's easier to, you know, either build partnerships or, you know, find investors who want to be uh, joining us on the opportunities. And now we're kind of at a point where we're starting to reach out of that community more and like saying like, this is, these are opportunities. Like, we need to be telling more people. It's not just the people who are at the real estate right. they, they already know about this stuff. Yeah. We can at least teach them about our right. deals and what we're doing, but. Like there are so many people out there who don't know anything about real estate investing or they've heard of it and they know it's probably a good thing, but how the heck would they be a part of it? Like they have to find a realtor and go find a duplex or find a condo they're going to rent. Like, it's like, no, like there's a much easier, lower risk ways of getting involved. And like, that's what we're, we're getting excited to start sharing this more with other people. And um,
0: That's fantastic. I, I wholeheartedly (laughs) agree with that. I mean, it's just, So There's so many people out there that still don't know. I didn't know, you know, until four years ago. I didn't know you could do it, you know? Um, So a few things that you said, one was for real. You wanted to, you know, like when you got, saw all the other people that were doing all these different deals, you're like, wow, this is for real. And I think that that's a powerful thing about, you know, being part of a of a group of like minded people is is just surrounding yourself with people that you know one success story after another, and that gives you more confidence to press forward. Um, you know, some people, you know, they question whether they should go to a conference or they should you know um, join something or and like, look, you know, I get it. It it's an investment in dollars and in your time, but you have to ask yourself, you know, will you do it without it? You know, when you surround yourself with other people, it helps give you the confidence. And, you know, they root you on, you know, I mean, I've met so many people that have helped me along the way. And I know you guys are in that same boat. And, um, and then we all kind of grow together. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's really fun to be a part of that community and, you know, growing together. I like that a lot. The other thing you said was, you know, you thought being a passive first was good for you guys. And and I would agree with that too. Um, You said you look at what you like and what you don't like. And I think that's important, you know, is like each syndicator has their own style and their own, you know, communication style. And there's certain people that, you know, you'll continue to invest with, and there's other people that you may not, and even the ones that you may not, the returns may be great, right? But maybe you just didn't click with that syndicator as much, you know, and so you're probably going to allocate funds, you know, to a different one um, that you you click with more, that has more of your style. Um, so I think it's important if you if you're looking to become Active in the space, you want to become a syndicator. you know, go and be a passive first, to learn from the other side.
1: Yeah, and I'd say we've definitely learned a lot, um, you know, even underwriting tips um, from being a passive investor. Like you know, a couple of things we look at now in any deal, whether we're sponsoring or investing in someone else's, is you know, are they treating the property taxes you know appropriately? Um, are they accounting for um, you know the future increase in property taxes at the next county assessment date? Um, And then another one is just, are they, you know, is whoever's leading the deal accounting for adequate working capital, we call it, which is just extra money that's not allocated to anything up front, but it's just there kind of as a rainy day fund if something goes wrong, like, uh, you know, an unexpected boiler went out or um, roof repairs, things like that. Um, Because that's really important for a deal because to expect everything to go exactly as planned um, for a five-year hold period. You know that's just not how real life works. So it's nice to just have that extra security of um, extra money on hand for a deal, um, and you know realistic rent growth, rela- realistic cap rate projections for when you sell down the road. Um, those can make a big difference um, in whether the deal's underwritten conservatively or if it might be too aggressive.
0: Absolutely, and, and you you may not know all of those things the first time you invest, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you try to learn as much as you can, but over time you see these learning lessons, you know, my first syndication deal, you know, I underwrote, we bought in in Tarrant County in, in, um, in the Texas market, about 20 minutes South of Fort Worth. And we underwrote it 80% of the purchase price um, for property taxes. Well, they went and, the county went and valued the property higher than our purchase price. <laughs> so that's a big number, you know, d- differential in in your business plan. Now we were exceeding our our rent uh, increases, you know, on the turns. So we were able to absorb it, but we had to, you know, have hire a company to go and, and fight that. And we, we ended up bringing it down, but to your point, if somebody, you know, had underwrote that at the existing property tax value, you know, that would be huge differential in the business mm-hmm. plan, you know. So, you know, understanding which county really pushes the envelope on property tax valuations is very important. Um, the other thing that you you didn't mention, which is kind of near and dear to to me, uh, based, because I have another business that trades loan portfolios, um, is is the loan that you're going to put on the, the property. And, and a lot of passives don't fo- really focus on that. But um, I think that I, for me personally, because of my background, um, the term of the loan I think is important because um, during the 2008-2010 recession where I saw loans go bad and banks take them back, was when a loan came due in a recession. You know, so value cash flow is down, maybe cap rates are up, valuations are, are down, and all of a sudden the loan comes due, you're forced to either refinance or sell the property. And, you know, I just don't want to ever be in that position. You know, so um knowing, you know, I I've invested in a couple of deals with short loans, like you know, bridge loans, two and three year Bridge loans with extensions, but I knew that that's a risk, you know. And and I think that it's important for investors to know that um, what is the term of the loan. It's not like a thirty-year fixed-rate loan. The loan is going to come due. And most of these deals, you know, look even if they have hiccups. If you you said you even said it before, like you you went through the recession with your your existing portfolio, your small deals, and you were able to ride it out, you know, you wouldn't want to be forced to sell in that, mm-hmm. you know, downturn. So um, that's another thing that isn't important to me. Um, what kind of sacrifices have you guys made what, you know, to get into this business?
1: Well, so after we joined um, Brad Sumrack's mentoring group, I actually left my job as engineering and I went full-time. Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, you know, just went full-time and wanting to focus on real estate um, have a, a bit more control over my schedule. Um, but it was hard. I mean, it, I thought with our existing real estate experience and joining the mentorship group, I thought we'd have a deal within a couple months. And it ended up being close to a year before we close on that first um, deal with our partners. And, you know, that was, I think that's the sacrifice is just staying with it. Um, Even if the going gets hard and it sometimes seems like, um, you know, it's just not going your way. It is, it is a tough business to get into. Um, Most of the brokers know the big buyers in town and they've done business for years together. And when you're the new kid on the block coming to, um, you know, buy these larger properties you know, there's a little bit of like, well, prove yourself first and then we'll take you seriously. Um, it's a little bit of that. And then I think just also growing as an investor, um, you know, coming right off that uber conservative engineering background where you can, you know, you basically want to minimize risk to zero, um, to realizing that, um, you know, we don't have to be as conservative in, um, some of our underwriting metrics, uh, let's be more realistic, uh, not aggressive, but realistic in some things that we can win deals, uh, and just kind of refining what um, was realistic and what could still um, win deals over time. So that's just a matter of experience and gaining the experience. Um, But we, we really love the business. Like, It's, it's a ton of fun. Um, like we're in that mentoring group and just last week we did a mastermind in Lake Tahoe and, you know, half the time you spend in sessions, like learning the best about the business and shifting your mindset and talking about goals. And then the other half, I mean, we were out skiing and snowmobiling and just having a great time. So, um, it's a great business. I feel like people are very good at, um, kind of integrating the work with the, um, with fun, With farm, yeah. Right? It's, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we can't think of anything else we'd rather be doing. It's, um, it's been a great journey.
0: That's fantastic. Hey, there's a few things that you said that I think is a really important. One is you thought it was going to be easy. Was that, it actually was hard. Like, you know, that's one thing that I'll say when people reach out to me on Instagram or whatever. I'm like, look, I would highly recommend you to join a mentorship group, surround yourself with like-minded people, but just know that striking the check is not going to get you a deal, right? It gets you in the door, it gets you access to all the people, all the resources you need, but you still have to fight, kick and scratch to, you know, to get your first deal. Yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't just get handed to you. Um, you know, Another thing you said was realistic. You know, I think that it's a natural process for new investors in the market when they start underwriting deals and underwriting is just, you know, taking a bunch of data and putting it in an Excel spreadsheet to see if the returns are, are there. Um, in the beginning, is really easy. I know I fell into it and I've talked to a lot of people when they first start underwriting. There's a lot of like decision points. And if you are conservative on every one of those decision points, guess what? The deal doesn't look good, right? And you don't pursue it. And somebody else buys it. And then you're like, and then, and then you see that they turned it around and made a bunch of money. And you're like, how are they doing it? You know? So surrounding yourself and learning, you know, that's why I said those webinars before, you know, watching the webinars and saying, how are they doing how are they winning the deal? Even if you're an active person and investor, and you lose on a syndicated deal, and you know the the party that won, get on that webinar, see how they underwrote the deal, and that might help you on the next one.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah,
0: lots to learn from everybody,
1: and share ideas, and I mean, even just one good idea can make the difference between you know losing out or being able to make a deal work like um, some of the other income sources can be huge. Like we didn't really factor that in when we first started underwriting deals, but things like billing back for, you know, water and sewer charges, that's an easy one. You know, it's pretty mainstream anymore, but then more creative things like, um, you know, carports or package lockers. Um, I mean, there's one property we're talking about adding a electric car charging station and you can make a little bit of residual income from that. So there's lots of ideas and just, you know, the more people you talk to and you'll just get more and more of those great ideas.
0: Absolutely. That's part of the networking, right? I mean, so the networking, uh, part of it is, you know, trying to grow your investor database. Part of it is networking with other syndicators and, and, you know, wh- why would you do that? They're, they're your competition. Well, everybody shares ideas and can learn from each other. Like, Hey, I did this on my property and wow, that's a great idea. I, I haven't implemented that. But if I, you may, another syndicator may have five or 10 other properties that they implement that one idea on you know, may, may be substantial revenue. Another thing is having that Rolodex, you know, you come up with a problem right, at one of your properties, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have a fire at one of your properties never had that before, you know, but you know, and this other syndicator had that problem and you just call them up and they talk you through, hey, this is what I did. And like, whoa, you know, okay, now I'm at peace. Like I'm not having to try to figure this out on my own. So the community is very giving in terms of sharing of information.
2: Yeah, no, that's great, and I think we've really enjoyed getting to know the other syndicators. Just getting to grow together. Um, we're always looking to, you know, look for other new opportunities too. So we're in Colorado. We're, you know, that's our main focus. Uh, so we do a lot of our syndication here, and and we, you know, it's our saying We purchase deals for ourselves here. So we're kind of like very focused. The Colorado market, but we know other people who are doing great things in other markets that we actually want to be joining their deals and diversify our portfolio a little. So whether it's Dallas or Phoenix or Florida, you know, like all these other uh, markets that are doing really well, we, we'd like to be, uh, you know, keep growing our portfolio in those areas too. Um, so we we join passive deals and and then we're kind of starting to get to the point where. You know, back when we got started, we were trying to figure out, hey, we're local here. How do we get our first deal? And we had folks in Dallas who wanted to join us. Now we're kind of like, well, hey, you know, we could. We're doing passive investing other places, but we'd be interested in you know helping other people who are trying to get started um, in other markets that we're not necessarily going to be out meeting all the brokers and touring all the deals. Um, but now we have
0: yeah.
2: uh, some of the experience to be able to bring to the team to help uh, go after
0: deals. Isn't, if they're, it, they're interested. isn't that crazy? It's like, you know. Did you think 4 or 5 years ago that you'd be you know not only you know doing all these large deals but now hey I would be open to partnering with somebody that has less experience and now you're the experienced folks you know it's like you know it's it's funny it, like it can go in the snap of your finger that all of a sudden like holy cow this has grown you know grown and my confidence level is so different and my knowledge level is so different than it was before um, that you're able to say something like that. That's, that's awesome. And that's, that's the way it happens. It's like people taught you and now you're turning around and helping other people learn, you know? So that, that's fantastic. I was going to ask you, how do you, how do you continue to get uncomfortable? You know, but maybe that's (laughs) one way. You know, I think by there's of plenty ears. of ways
1: in this business. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, I mean, you think yeah. that, you know, once you get your first deal, you're going to know everything, but like, mm-hmm. it's like, holy cow, it just keeps on layering on. So talk a little bit about getting uncomfortable.
1: Sure. I mean, I think the kind of the way everybody thinks is just going bigger. So instead of doing a 100 unit, what about doing a 200 unit property, for instance. Um, So the size of the deal, both in number of units, and also total dollars um, invested. Uh, A lot of people in our group, uh, which kind of started out as more, you know, workforce housing, older properties, which everyone was going after. Now people are buying brand new 2020s built properties. Um, and we're really excited to see people kind of figure that out and know how to, um, run that business model. So you can buy nicer properties, you can buy bigger properties, you can, um, raise more capital. Um, I think one thing Alex and I are kind of interested in too, is, um, learning a little bit about development. Um, I don't think we'd be at a point where we would do that on our own right now, but something that we are keeping our eyes on just learning how, um, the construction process works and um, how that goes. Um, I mean, other ways to grow. There's so many different types of renovation projects. Um, we've done a lot of the cosmetic renovation projects and have experience with that. Um, but there's a lot more intensive work that can be done, like, you know, adding sprinkler systems or changing out um, plumbing lines, like these older properties sometimes need a full plumbing um change out so we haven't done that yet but there's always ways that you're learning and growing um anything else alex um
2: yeah i think yeah i think one of our key focuses is going after potentially you know newer or bigger properties whether it's unit count or just purchase price and uh, getting uncomfortable and i think we've seen that in a lot of our peers too they're they 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 get uncomfortable by going after bigger deals and just means, cause then it's like, okay, how are you going to raise these funds? And, and that's whether it's, you know, partner with other folks or how we get out there more and meet more people to share these opportunities with them. And um, that's an area where we're looking just to keep growing and um, getting uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's crazy. So the thing that, you know, there's listeners that maybe they're just looking to get in the first passive or maybe there's listeners that are looking to do their first, you know, syndicated deal. Um, But one side benefit that I don't think that people really think about when they're first trying to get their first deal is, you know, there is really a ripple effect. Like, so if you figure it out, right. And then you bring other people on and you do deals and you help grow their wealth. Then all of a sudden other people start coming to you and say, how did you do it? right? And then those people learn from you and then they go out and do it. And then people learn from them and they go out and do it. So there's a, you know, people listening. I know for me, four years ago, I was just thinking of myself. I was just thinking, you know, how do I figure out how to go bigger, right? And I wasn't really thinking that, okay, once I figure it out, other people are going to be asking me, right? But that's what happens is once you figure it out, other people are asking you, how did you do it? And that's a beautiful part of life is to help other people. And so, so that's something that people don't even really think about a lot of times, I think. Um, hey, so real, real quick, total flip the flip the subject. Um, how did you guys grow up? I mean, did you grow up with this? Wealth mentality, entrepreneurial spirit mentality, um, rich, poor, where did you grow up?
1: Happily middle, middle class for me. Um, oh. my mom, my mom was a math teacher. Um, my dad was, um, mechanical, um, did mechanical work for factories and, you know, they worked hard. They taught me to work hard. Um, but no, no investing or real estate, in the family. Um, for me, it was all, um, just finding out about real estate in college. Um, I think I actually went to a rich dad seminar before I read the book, but going to that got me to read the little purple book my and learn about assets and my abilities. And then I that actually... book has
0: been mentioned a lot of yeah. times. I gotta tell
1: you. And then the cash flow quadrant, I think actually made a bigger impact on me understanding the difference between, you know, an employee and a business owner and how there's actually tax differences if you're an employee or a business owner. Um, So that was kind of how I got started on it originally. Um, So did
0: you loop, were you the impetus like between you and Alex or was Alex the one bringing you into the investing world? It was,
2: it was pretty mutual. So yeah, Yeah. I grew up with similar uh, background, middle-class Iowa. Yeah, in Iowa, both my parents were business owners. My mom, a chiropractor, my dad, an electrician. And um, my dad actually had several single-family rentals. And I used to, you know, bike m- around town in the summers and mow grass of those. And you know, I was making a little money. And he also, I think, was instilling some values in me and showing me how he was... He wasn't, like, cash flowing from them, but I remember him teaching me, like, he never had to even pay anything down you'd get full financing and they'd pay for themselves. And so at one point they'd all be paid off. And I was like, wow, you know, that seems like a really good idea. And So there's always a nugget in the back of my head or Thought back there. And then, yeah, through college, I really was interested in investing and went into like stock investing clubs and started my career and like did all the, my stock analysis of like how I'm going to grow my 401k to retire someday. And then that same purple book hit me. Uh, I got my hands on that. Um, read that and just learned about, wow, real estate is like, I remember my dad kind of had, you know, these rental properties. So that's, uh, that really got me going and decided like, you know, I bought my first house as quickly as I could when I moved out here and had roommates. So that was, you know, I guess the old school house hack, um, having roommates and then went and bought a rental property. And then, yeah, you know, Sarah and I, we got married in uh, a couple of years after that, but we knew each other and, she, we right when we met each other, uh, we both worked at the same company, and that was something we had in common. Interest was real estate and investing, and lots of other fun stuff too. Um, but yeah, we did. We we went off and tried to do fun things. I remember like putting bandit signs out, like on a date one time,
1: <laughs> um,
2: saying you know we buy homes and in the middle of some busy intersection, and like. You know, I
1: was ever. like, I am never doing that ever again. <laughs> that's,
0: that's great. That's yeah, great. So, so what's the next big stretch goal for the two of you then?
1: Uh, well, we did just do a week of goal setting. So I think um, this year we want to do four more deals as the um, lead sponsor. Uh, we want to keep growing our cash flow from these properties. Um grow net worth. And another, another goal for us is to, you know, put ourselves out there more. Um, you know, we really appreciate you having on the, us on this podcast. Um, Absolutely. that goes hand in hand with our goals, the, you know, sh- share the magic of real estate with more people and, um, get out of our comfort zone a little bit. um, we're hiring some virtual assistants later this month to help with some of the, um, you know, more administrative tasks and, um, yeah, just excited to grow and expand and,
0: um, do more good stuff. What do you guys like to do outside of work?
2: Skiing and snowboarding last week was a lot of fun. We have two little kids, uh, two boys, three and six, three and
0: six,
2: three and six. Yeah. So they're super fun. We just love spending time with them and, uh, swimming, or going on bike rides, or hiking, or going to the playground—those are all, uh, you know, that's our main focus right now. Outside of the real estate industry. Well, you
0: got you got a young family that you're growing, and and look, you guys are going to be role models to show them how to get into the investing world as well. Hey, if there's people that are listening to this that want to reach out to you and get to know you better, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, so our company is called Regency Investment Group. And our website's just www.regencyinvestmentgroup.com. And you can go to the contact us form, uh, which will send us an email or you can send us an email directly. I'm Sarah S A R A H at regencyinvestmentgroup.com. And Alex is is the same A L E X at Regency.
0: Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on listeners. Look, if you're, if you're looking to um, get into the Colorado market, these two are, are fantastic people. Um, You know, just great people to get to know. And um, so reach out to them. I hope that you enjoyed that one. And until next week, uh, signing off. Thank you, Darren.
1: Thanks, Darren. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.